Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Niche Podcast about the one thing that I know something about game shows, I suppose. I am your host, Jordan Haas. If you're looking for some good shit, well, we have some good shit today. Uh, well, as Neil Jacoby will be stopping by to talk about WWE Tough Enough, pal, uh, <laughs> because it is a, a big time for wrestling, and I figure it's a good time in honor of WWE 2K20 now out that we talk about this bizarre game show. But before we get to that, let's get to the news. The McRib is back. Wait, wait, this isn't a food show. Getting hungry for McRibs all of a sudden. Anyway, uh, so uh, this week it's Halloween week of Double Dare. Uh, if you're a big fan of the now canceled Double Dare, this is one of the few episodes left in the canister before they just put it to rest. I'm not saying, hey, watch this, and then maybe they might reconsider and and bring it back for a season three. But who knows? Uh, there's a Halloween week and a Christmas week tournament coming up. I think the tournament episodes kind of were a bust, but you know, it's, it's double there. Ray double there on Nickelodeon. Now it's time for more (laughs) press releases just to give me a migraine. (sighs) Guy Fieri will host tournament of champions on food network. Tournament champions will feature 16 chefs going head-to-head in a series of challenges using ingredients and special cooking tools and equipment while racing against the clock. The difficulty of the challenges increases with each round of the tournament until only two chefs are left to vie in the final round. Guys, call to action for fans to nominate the chefs that they think are the best of the best should earn one of the coveted tournament spots instantly became the most viewed videos on Food Network social platforms within the past 90 days, with over a million views and counting, said Courtney White, president of Food Network. Cooking and sports are two of my greatest passions, said Fieri. What people don't realize is that the competitive fire that drives professional athletes also drives the best chefs in the world. So with Tournament of Champions, I'm having the greatest culinary athletes in the world go head-to-head in a knockdown, drag-out bracket-style competition that's going to be off the hook. Let the games begin. I want to. I want to die. We have more food shows on the Food Network after the Cookie Show and the Bacon Show and the Worst Cooks and and the Cha. Like, do we need more? Do we need more? We don't need more. Okay, our press release. Emmy Award nominated, making it hosts Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman return to NBC December 2nd with a Kraftworthy and comedy filled new season. More episodes, more puns, and more of America's most diverse makers making spring skill and heart to earn $100,000. Eight episode making an event gives viewers a chance to enjoy laughing, create inspired gifts and friends and family just in time for the holidays. Universal City, California, October 18th, 2019. Grab your glue guns and get ready to laugh as NBC's Making It from executive producers and hosts Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman returns with a multi-night crafting event beginning Monday, December 2nd at 10 p.m. Eastern. In a binge-worthy holiday treat, please leave this as we just need to get rid of this season. We don't really have faith in it, so we're fucked. In a binge-worthy holiday treat, Making It premieres Monday, December 2nd and continues December 3rd or 5th from 10 to 11 p.m. 
December 9th, 10 to 11 p.m., and December 10th, 10 to 11 p.m., before concluding with a two-hour grand finale telecast Wednesday, December 11th, 9 to 11 p.m. They're really just, they just had all these episodes and they're just burning them off for the holiday. That's what it sounds like. I'm so happy to be back in the barn for season two of Making It with my pal Nick, where the makers create masterpieces and everyone continues to aggressively like each other, Polar said. I'm so excited for America to see our new crop of crafting champs. Offerman said, Their creativity and pluck make my job feel like I'm getting paid to cheer at the Olympics. The wow factors raised in season two as the country's most imaginative makers from Miami to Portland take fans on a journey through everything from office makeovers to three-dimensional holiday creations. Working with mediums from food to felt and no shortage of electricity, this season's makers vie to impress returning judges. Dana Ism Johnson, Etsy trend expert, and Simon Doonan, creative ambassador for Barney's New York. A critical darling, Season 1 received a 100% certified fresh Rotten Tomato score and earned a Critics' Choice Real TV nomination. For their endless puns, heartfelt guidance, and comedic banner, Polar and Offerman also earned an Emmy Award nomination for Competition Series Host. Huh, you didn't win, though, did you? <clears throat> During its first season, making it pull the 1.2 ring, 1849, with 4.9 million viewers in live plus seven day Nielsen's, which made summer's number one most watched new series. Well, if it's summer one, if it's summer's number one most watched new series, why are you putting it on during Christmas? Why are you putting the summer show that did well in the summer during Christmas on a strip unless you don't have a new game show to push? That's the only thing I could think of. All right, on July uh, 31st premiere, NBC is the strongest launch of an alternative series on record, which is why it's airing in, well, December, right? July, December, what's the difference? Uh, Season 2 will be making the next day as part of NBC's Oh What Fun Fun Holiday lineup. NBC, you've done it again. Only on the NBC app can fans now catch up with season one of making it on both the nbc app and hulu season two will be streaming in as part of the oh what fun holiday lineup each episode will evolve around central theme with the makers competing two crafts and current trends in diy and anchor on america's love for all things handmade the first is a faster craft it gives makers a limited time to execute their personal take on each theme next is a more in-depth master craft challenging each maker to display their respective expertise while combining originality, imagination, and quality, finishing to move on to the next round of the competition. In the round, the winning contestant will be crowned Master Maker. Polar and Offerman share a love for craftwork, each bringing unique and often comical perspectives to the table. Polar, a self-proclaimed crafting novice, desired to create a show that she and her family could enjoy that would inspire viewers, young and old, to make things together, a.k.a. we wanted the Great British Bake Off, but we couldn't get the rights. Offerman is a New York Times bestselling author in the woodworking space, giving him actually credibility to host the show <clears throat> returning to its light filled and scenic barn aka what bake-off does this season's makers bring along some surprising craft memes and quality compelling background stories that led them into the maker community from solar meteorology to interior design to aerospace engineering the 100,000 dollars grand prize comes courtesy of blueprint the ultimate online destination for crafters go to www.myblueprint.com to start a new hobby or reconnect with an old one are we, are we, did you fall asleep yet? Hey, did you fall asleep? Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. I know, Amy Polar is boring. Let's move on. Quibi sets games. Oh, God damn, fucking Quibi. Fuck off. Fuck you, Quibi. Fuck your quick bites. Quick bite my, my dick, why don't you? 
Quick bite my dick. Yeah, I went there. This ain't your mama's game show podcast. <laughs> Quibby just sucks. Anyway, Quibby says game show comedy competition with host Matt Rogers and Dave Mazzoni. Game show, because come into Quibby, honey. Fuck you. Fuck you, deadline. You're fucking, f- fucking honey. Honey. Like, like you want to be one of those, like, snapback gay people that I fucking want to put in a toilet? Honey. Way to set LGBT rights back a couple decades, why don't you? <clears throat> game show is coming to Quibby, honey. The comedy competition series hosted by Las Culturistas podcast co-host Matt Rogers and stand-up comedian Dave Mazzoni. <sighs> so they have a podcast, okay. It has been greenlighted by the mobile platform and will be produced by Jax Media. Game show, which has existed as a live comedy show, uplifts and celebrates the LGBTQ community and its allies. Oh boy, I feel validated. Each episode features two straight contestants paired with a celebrity quote-unquote life partner. Get it? Because with the gays, the gays don't have like relation; they have life partners. <laughs> As they battle head-to-head in physical, mental, and even emotional challenges for the title of Queen of the Straits. Fuck off. Dave and I are thrilled to bring Game Show to Quibi after performing it as a live show for the last couple of years, said Rogers. And Zoni adds, we are thrilled to showcase how the energy and comedy of our live show is translated and even enhanced by this new format. This format, of course, being YouTube. It's just YouTube, folks. I don't know what... Quibi is just... YouTube. Genevieve Neal, a service showrunner, executive producer, and Rogers and Mazzoni, as well as Brooke Posh, Seamus Murphy-Mitchell, and Tony Hernandez. <sighs> the news of game game show's latest addition to the growing state of programming at Quibi. This includes Daily Chill, Late Night This Morning, and your Daily Horoscope from Attention and Will Arnett. <sighs> I'm not looking forward to that show. I get the idea you want to do like an LGBT culture thing, but like, I I don't know. It, it, it to me it, it just doesn't feel right. Only for a few reasons. One, we are shitting on trans people in the modern day society. They're kind of thrown under the bus. Did I think doing a show that celebrates what it announced to gay stereotype just kind of fucking sucks? Two. As a as a bisexual, it kind of pisses me off in a way because to me, when I was trying to come to terms with my own sexuality, a lot of the media that I saw that presented gays did not represent how I felt about who I am. That something like this exists also sounds like a pushback to who I am. And that's also why I'm kind of taking this back. And who knows, maybe Lost Culturistas is a very funny podcast, but... Uh, this is this isn't like Brian Sofie's throwing shade to me, so I don't know. This feels like a slap in the face to me, but it's Quibi, and maybe it's funny. Maybe it's like Gay for Play, the RuPaul game show. Remember that? Remember that? Remember that show? I I think we've moved on as a society that we've kind of become more inclusive to at least rich gay people. Look at Pete Buttigieg. But at the same time, I don't think this is the right direction. This isn't this isn't it, fam. This feels like a haha. Straight people don't know gay culture because gay people know all about the RuPaul Drag Race stars, or they know all the lyrics to 
some sort of 70s Motown singer or something. To which I say, fuck off. That's all stereotypes. That's all bad shit. That is like having a game show about uh, who's who's the best ally to Mexicans. And it's let's do the Mexican hat dance. Play that over and over again. It's just kind of offensive. And I know they're not gonna they're not trying to go for offensive. They're trying to go for comedy. These are comedians. But this just this just is this is probably the worst format I've heard so far <laughs> of like the last month. And I have had some meltdowns over this shit. Uh let's just change the channel. Let's get something else here. Uh, calling all Disney fans, cast and call to compete in a new Disney quiz show. Okay, fine. You know, fuck it. Yeah, sure. Okay, Disney Plus, I'm guessing. It's Disney Plus. Do you have how it takes to be named the biggest Disney fan of all time? Do you know everything about Star Wars, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Moana, and other Disney animated movies? I guess I don't give a shit about Pixar. Do you know every little thing about the main mouse himself and the gang? Have you visited the Disney theme parks on a regular basis and know the theme parks like the back of your hand? Then you have to sign up for the newest Disney quiz show, which is a new game show coming to Disney streaming service. Disney Plus and you compete to answer trivia questions and put your Disney knowledge to the test. And since the show is currently casting now, unfortunately, this Disney Quiz Show won't be a Disney Plus when the stream service debuts next month, but it's still something to look forward to. They're casting families of four. So it's a family for Disney games. I get fine. I mean, it makes sense. Disney Plus, they have a lot of libraries. So I guess a pop culture show like that would work. Reinforce the brand to the families. At the same time, do we need, like, a Star Wars trivia episode? Okay, how many questions can you really write about Star Wars? How many questions can you write about the Marvel Cinematic Universe? They're noting it's the Cinematic Universe, which means the movie. So they're not going into the comics library. That's very interesting. So we're not going to ever have a question about Shatterstar, is what I'm I'm hearing. So Tom Hiddleston is Loki. I win. Let's move on. Uh, okay, broadcasting cable. Blockout, a format created by Nippon Television and Red Arrow Studios to air in VTV in Vietnam and Antv in Indonesia. Okay, so foreign format. Let's look at this. Uh, having previously announced a deal with Zen Z Entertainment Thailand for its action-packed new game show format, Blockout, Nippon Television announced that they acquired Red Arrow Studios and they're going to air Blockout. Okay, what's Blockout about? I just want to know what Blockout is. In each episode of Blockout, two teams of four players, each with their backs literally against the wall, Battle it out in a variety of physical games combining trivia, strategy, and chance. Each team plays on a separate identical wall comprised of more than 100 giant blocks across several nail-binding games, wrong answers, and bad judgments. Blocks will be pushed out in a variety of combinations and speeds, forcing contestants into crazy positions to try and avoid being knocked down in the pit below. The team that keeps the most players on the ledge the longest wins the game. Okay, that actually sounds like an interesting format. This sounds like uh, that one thing in Darrow. Mixed with my favorite uh, Japanese variety game segment. So so there was this one like viral game where there were four people like hanging on a little bungee cord on top of like a cardboard box wall. And it would pick random numbers. And behind those numbers were different punishments. So it was things like bowling ball. And it was a guy who bowls the ball into the wall and it would like dent it a bit. Or there would be uh, some people like a sumo wrestler would tackle into the, the wall. Things like that, which I thought were kind of clever. That maybe this is kind of what it is, but with trivia or something. I'm kind of curious what this show is. This actually is sparking my interest. 
Um, Nippon Television, if you don't know, actually was the, the people who created Dragon's Den, which became Shark Tank. That's why I'm actually kind of fascinated. People may not know that, but Shark Tank is a Japanese game show originally. Uh, so let's see what else. Oh, okay, VH1 Greenlights, RuPaul's Celebrity Drag Race event series. I, Jesus. Okay, let's, maybe it'll get good. Four-episode series will feature 12 sickening celebrities as they shashay into the workroom to get gag-worthy makeovers and spill all the tea. Fuck this shit. I'll start from the beginning. <clears throat> the four-episode series will feature 12 sickening celebrities as they shashay into the workroom to get gag-worthy makeovers and spill all the tea as they compete for the first-ever title of America's Next Celebrity Superstars. Stay tuned for the premiere date and the roster of guests to strut their stuff down the runway. Fuck off. Fuck off. First of all, first of all, before we get into the second part of this, it makes no sense. Four episodes with 12 celebrities isn't supposed to be the, the lip sync for your life around and they get eliminated. So so is it just going to be multiple of that or is it going to be like speed up version? Are we going to see Danny Bonaducci in drag? Is that what I'm getting at? In each episode, three celebrities will undergo a complete drag transformation. Okay, so it's a simplified version. A complete drag transformation with the help of one of the most iconic queens from previous seasons. Okay, so we're getting some all-stars. Okay, Elisa Edwards, Asia O'Hara, Bob the Drag Queen, Kim Chi. Okay, Monet Exchange, uh, Monique Hart, Nina West, Trinity the Tuck, Trixie Mattel, and Vanessa Vanessa Mate. Okay, so at least these are drag people I have heard of. All right, the celebrity cast will compete for the title win prize money for the charity. Okay, that, okay, okay, fine, sure. Uh, doing drag does not change who you are. It reveals who you are. Drag race host and executive producer Paul Charles said, I can't wait for the world to see what happens when our celebrity contestants all dress up in drag. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this. I, I, I'm kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place. I do like RuPaul's drag race. I do like the fact they're trying to do like the, here are the all-stars to be coaches to these people. I hope it kind of becomes the celebrity goes, I understand what drag is now or some sort of revelation about that. But sometimes, you know what? Maybe it's just the flavor text here, like the workroom and the, and the gag worthy makeovers because like you might as well just say, yeah, look at these ugly bitches. They're going to dress up like ugly, ugly bitches. And they're going to sing and dance for your amusement to, to win like $5,000. It just, no, no, and, uh, but hey, it won an Emmy, and it's another spinoff, so hooray for RuPaul. Uh, when it comes to game shows, I don't know, maybe I should just, you know, tap out. Professional wrestling and game shows are pretty much cut from the same cloth. In the early stages of television, professional wrestling was used essentially as easy action-adventure stories. Because you got your good guy face and your bad guy heel, game shows at the same time was just easy promotion, easy proc placement, and the interactivity to the viewer. That screaming at the screen that we always love talking about, that came with them. 
Sure, in the early stages, they were in studios, played to small crowds, and turnover rate was fast because it's live, pal. But as the territories became large, billion-dollar companies, the same acquisition would happen with game show producers. I remember my first encounter with professional wrestling. It was WrestleMania 12, Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim. It was so close to me, but I, I saw it on pay-per-view. And it was that Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Iron Man match that captivated me. The storyline of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart training before this grueling 60-minute Iron Man match and concluding with the tie and then Shawn Michaels grabbing that pin and then Vince McMahon saying, The boyhood dream has come true for Shawn Michaels. It meant a whole lot. And for many wrestling fans, once there is something that captivates them, there is no going back. With the release of WWE 2K20 now out, and all the glitches that came by my timeline this week, it really got me thinking about professional wrestling and game shows. But instead of looking into wrestlers on game shows like Family Feud or Double Dare, I wanted to see if there was a show for wrestling fans about the wrestling industry. And that's why we are doing Hulk Hogan's Celebrity Championship Wrestling. Wait, no. Wait, fuck no. No, no, fuck, but fuck no, 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 no. No, it's tough enough. We are doing tough enough. Gotta save that for when I am truly masochistic. WWE's attempt to show the world what it takes to be a superstar, but without the actually good behind-the-scenes look, such as Proving Ground. Is tough enough just as embarrassing as the Kennel from Hell match, or is it just a forgotten memory of wrestling's past, such as War Games or Bash at the Beach? Devon, turn the tables! With me on the line is one of the hosts of Spall Talk, the good friend Neil. Hi, Jordan. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a predetermined contest where the rules aren't enforced and nobody gets over. And I'm not talking about the presidential election. Oh, what? That, don't you be meddling or else <laughs> I'll get my friend Robert Mueller on the line. He's like... <laughs> He is he is just like a deb- he is just like the Jack Tunney of the world. <laughs> In that he's only there as a disposable object <laughs> that we're supposed to praise, and then he ultimately does nothing. Uh, he, he's the Braun Strowman of politics. He is the Braun Strowman of politics. So this is the wrestling episode. I uh, figure it's a good time to get Neil on the line here because we are in the middle of the Wednesday Night War. Uh, you have your NXT versus AEW Dynamite going on. Yeah, there's the uh, big old SmackDown on Fox for maybe an extra four more weeks, and then it's going to go away. Uh, then, <laughs> and then WWE. And you have the uh, upcoming... You have Hell in a Cell and the upcoming Saudi Blood Money show, Crown Jewel, with uh, was, AAA legend Kane Velasquez versus Brock Lesnar. It was very fun, uh, yes, because it, and it's raw. Tonight is the night. Oh, wait, no, that's not the song anymore. Uh, <laughs> where it's <laughs> where it's just uh, they're they're the weakest attempts to recreate the Attitude Era, but it's coming across like the TNA Impact years of Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> 
Uh, tonight, Tyson Fury is going to address the WWE Universe. Hopefully, he doesn't say anything about any marginalized group. Oh, jeez. Thank you. Don't say anything, Randy Orton. <laughs> Don't say the gamer <laughs> word. Don't say the yeah, gamer word. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a great time for me to come on and talk about uh, WWE Tough Enough, because this is this has not been a great week for WWE. Uh, NXT got completely housed in the ratings by the initial episode of AEW Dynamite. Uh, SmackDown ended like it ended. Uh, Hell in a Cell happened, and uh, Randy Orton said the N word. So it's not a good. It, it like this is okay. So we're recording this October seventh, just in case like there's a delay in the in the upload link. Uh, Raw introduced their half pipe uh, set, which looked okay, yeah. uh, but every storyline was basically just like, "You broke up with me, you son of a bitch! I'm gonna hurt you!" <laughs> WWE NXT is like set in full sale, and it just seems like it's catering to a bunch of people who are just there by like, <laughs> like just like by force at this point. Of these two hundred people, <laughs> yeah, this is this is NXT. I mean, Papa Papa Paul is here to tell us it's great. Oh <laughs> uh, well, the, the the full sale crowd they are they're a cult at this point. They're, I mean, like people are putting cops in showings of Joker, but they they ought to put some cops in the full sale audience because some dangerous people in that crowd. And the AEW Dynamite premiered. With over a million viewers, which is tough to get in cable, uh, it was number two of the night uh, in cable over a baseball. Uh, so it, it it's and the wild the card game at that, and it's the what was that, what, Brewers versus Nationals, <laughs> the Hebrew Nationals, like the hot dog, <laughs> the Milwaukee Brewers versus the Washington Nationals. Oh well, I, I know where my money's Probably at. The Probably the two least over teams in baseball, but they still outdrew AEW. They still outdrew AEW, and then when the baseball ends, you know they'll they'll probably pick a place. Uh, so after that, SmackDown on Fox, and uh, that was basically here's a big set, big budgeted, uh, almost like a pseudo Monday Nitro with octagon tables and space in the background. <laughs> And everyone's like, we love Kofi Kingston. What a great idea to get this guy, the first African-American WWE champion. Because we aren't racist, folks. We aren't. <laughs> oh, here's Brock Lesnar. Five seconds. And, oh, he, and... he, he lost. <laughs> yep. Yep. What what a way to end that storyline. So then Kane Velasquez shows up with Rey Mysterio. Hey, remember the Rey Mysterio storyline? <laughs> His kid got beat up. <laughs> Guys, we're just gonna uh, not like it wasn't Brock. It wasn't Brock Lesnar that beat the crap out of the kid. <laughs> like, I I haven't actually been watching WWE for like the past five years, so oh good, then I don't much. know. Anyway, the, the, the main... I don't know who's been beating up Rey Mysterio's kid. <laughs> so so and then Hell in a Cell ended in a no in a disqualification in Hell in a Cell, which is supposed to be marketed as a no DQ match. <laughs> 
I should point uh, this out because I, I saw this on the Brian and Vinny show on Figure Four Weekly. They had a huge mallet, like a Harley Quinn mallet, be smashed. <laughs> and that was okay. Oh, but then when Seth Rollins has a sledgehammer like Triple H, the referee's like, don't you do that. Don't you do break it over the head. Don't you smash the... the the sledgehammer over the the table and the chair and the ladder that's over uh, him because that would hurt him. Don't do that. He does it, yeah. and then suddenly the ref's like, "Nah, nah, you're done." <laughs> to alt the chant of bullshit, bullshit, AE dub, refund, refund. <laughs> and I mean, we haven't even mentioned that this is inside a red cage blasted with red floodlighting, so... I could, it, it hurt my eyes, seeing clips from that. And it... Oh, it, so, it sneak preview of uh, WWE 2K20 for the Nintendo Virtual Boy. <laughs> X, uh, X-Pac, of all people, finally got less heat on him. <laughs> he finally <laughs> lost his heat. <laughs> When he fight, when in a backstage like viewathon, he goes, "Yeah, you might not invite me on after this, but how do you get DQ'd in a hell of a frickin' cell?" <laughs> so, because of a pissed off wrestling fan base, because professional wrestling is now on an upswing uh, with the AEW audience versus that of the uh, NXT. We thought, wouldn't it be fun to just look at the way WWE did game shows? And originally, we were Neil Wan in NXT. <laughs> and it's like, we can't really cover NXT because uh, it was all Yeah, it's kind of a, a work, work game show. Because it's a predetermined show. Uh, it's it, it's pseudo game. Let me we could cover it like real quick. Matt Stryker of the teacher of of ECW fame welcomes eight NXT rookies and eight WWE pros. <laughs> and then you hear the best theme song in all of professional wrestling, Wild and Young. We are wild and young. And we uh, have just begun. So slow it down. You move a little too fast. You take a deep breath. You make this last. And it should be the best years of our lives. Surprise, surprise. Oh, can't wait to tune into the CW for Wild and Young, the new WWE themed, uh, WWE themed teen romance. You gotta hang. I don't know that Undertaker over there is bad news, but you know, Katie, I think it's okay for you to go out with Kane. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, we're watching the far more legitimate tough WWE enough. game, though. Tough enough. So, uh, tough enough is one of the weirdest game shows I've ever seen because this is essentially supposed to be part backstage of the WWE, mixed with lifelong dream is to be a WWE superstar, and it's well, how do you show how it is, what it takes to be a WWE superstar while also uh, not showing just people falling on their backs over and over again and taking bumps and learning move sets. And, and I guess what they agreed on was, uh, let's have him be chased by dogs. 
Yeah, let's have him get chased by dogs, uh, as if this was like released to hounds. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And you got something called WWF Tough Enough slash WWE Tough Enough. There's four different formats to us. So uh, hang in, this could be a very long episode. The first format aired on MTV, and it ran for three seasons. And this one had all your favorites. Like, when you were thinking 1990s Attitude Era WWE, who who is the biggest names you can get? Stone Cold Steve, Steve Austin, Austin, The Rock, Mankind, The Undertaker. Val-Venus. What? Val Venus, The Godfather, D'Lo Brown, Takamichi Noku, Brian Christopher... Midian. Uh, well, how would you like Hardcore Holly and Al Snow to be the judges and the coaches <laughs> on this hot format called Tough Enough? In this format, uh, essentially, uh, you had people go through, quote unquote, the ropes. It was 25 people and it was ended up being 13 at the end. And the idea, and fun fact about season one, which is actually fun, one of the uh, people who actually auditioned for that was Justin Roberts. Ooh. As in Justin Roberts. (laughs) Current AEW ring announcer, Justin Roberts, yeah. So in this format, essentially, uh, it was periodical eliminations. Uh, some of them was like if you didn't, one person got eliminated because he didn't sign the release form for MTV. <laughs> <laughs> that was the very first episode. The when we whittling down our twenty three to thirteen, like it was the casting special. One person's like, I'm not, I'm not gonna sign this. <laughs> uh, now I'm just imagining like uh, the bottom three bit from the episode we watched, but uh, one of the people in the ring is our face blurred out, and Stone Cold's like. Hell, son, why you got your face blurred out like that? Uh, I, I didn't sign the MTV release. How are you ever going to be a WWE superstar if you can't even get the nads to put your face on live television? Hand me your belt and get the hell out of here. <laughs> There's a yellow sticker over their face. <laughs> like Christian. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> This is the re- this is the only episode with all these wrestling references. I'm soaking this in as much as I can. You got a sign on the bottom line because Stone Cold says so. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, so it was basically in season one. It was like let's go to the gym, and then uh, they try to do some sort of. Uh, they can quit at any time. Basically, that was the idea. If you weren't tough enough, you can quit. Uh, or if your body quits for you. Some people had injuries, and that was enough. Uh, so they got to meet Lita and the Hardy Boys and Kurt Angle and Stephanie McMahon, <laughs> Pat Patterson. Uh, let me read off some of my favorite episodes of Season 1 Tough Enough right now. <clears throat> No hill too far nor water too deep. As the competition nears its end, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Deborah visit the kids at home. <laughs> Big holds one more physical challenge for the group at a rock quarry, and Josh must overcome his self-doubt in order to be successfully execute a moonsault. <laughs> and when we meet Josh, 
We meet a, a contestant by the name of Josh Lomberger, who would later become Josh Matthews of Impact <laughs> Now. <laughs> uh. and, and as you know, this show did end up creating some of the best people in the history of the WWE. No, not Christopher Nowinski. The executive director of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. No. How about the iconic Maven? <laughs> and Nidia. <laughs> you uh, know. Maven Jamie Nidia. Noble's valet Nidia, yeah. In season two, uh, they basically... <clears throat> It, 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 it was more of the same, but this time they added Ivory and Taz and Chavo Guerrero. <laughs> now, this one is an interesting one because... Uh, but you, you mean you mean Netflix's glow legend, Chavo Guerrero? Yes, Chavo Guerrero, the guy who played a main villain, but also taught the, the actors how to do the wrestling bumps. As it turns out, you got to make sure you you put your back flat and have your chin up so it doesn't take the impact. Uh, anyway, so some of the contestants uh, include uh, Jackie Gata, who will become Miss Jackie, uh, which was the valley with Charlie Haas. No relation to me. Uh, <laughs> you got Jesse Ward. Uh, oh, you had Kenny King. And, and... Yeah, yeah. One of three game shows that Kenny King has been on. What are the, the other two? Uh, baggage, the uh, uh, Jerry Springer-hosted dating baggage show, and The Bachelorette, season 13. So he's out there for love right now. Yeah, yeah, he is. He was also on The Real Housewives of Atlanta, which, not, not, not Atlanta, I think it was New York, as uh, his shoot job as a Chippendales dancer. No. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, and then Matt Morgan was also for season two. Uh, he never, no one really uh, famous unless you count Linda Miles and Jackie Gata. That's it. Linda Miles, that would be. Linda Miles would later go on. Uh, let me read off. She has apparently her own wiki page. She worked under in SmackDown as Shaniqua. Right, yes, the dominatrix of Doug and Danny Basham, the BDSM twins. Her, uh, her last, uh, her last moment was she was pinned following a bonsai drop from Rikishi at a No Way Hell Out event. <laughs> Always the way you want to go out by uh, taking a move from Rikishi. Oh no, it's the stink face. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, so the, the, I, we're making jokes right now here. Um but now we're going to actually get to the was there ever really a winner? Was there ever Was there ever really win season 3? Tough enough season 3 which was I believe the last of the MTV ones. Uh you had a lot you had basically uh, so some some great contestants, but the most famous one was actually the two winners. Uh, Matt Copatelli, uh, who unfortunately passed away from a with brain tumors, so so rest in peace. Uh, but but the more iconic one, John Morrison, aka Johnny Mundo, aka, AKA Johnny Nitro, aka Johnny Penis, aka Johnny Blackcraft, 
a.k.a. John Hannigan, a.k.a. Boone the Bounty Hunter, a.k.a. John Morrison coming to SmackDown this year. A.k.a. Survivor contestant, John John Hannigan. John Hannigan. A.k.a. Johnny Impact. Johnny Impact, which I thought was kind of unfair, by the way, to have him on... Because this one was airing in 2005, I, I believe. What, what year did, did, did season three show up? I believe it was like 2002, 2003. Okay, yeah, 2002. So, this was post-WCW. <laughs> this uh, is, I think, an unfair advantage because John Morrison was Johnny Nitro at the very end of the Nitro years. Wait, was he actually, like, on Nitro, or was that just, like, a rib that they... I think that... I, I had always understood that it was, like, a, a rib when he got pulled up as a Joey Mercury's tag team partner. Like, oh, let's name him Johnny Nitro after this show that we now own the rights to because we bought WCW. Yes, the Nitro name was funny, like, with reference, because it was originally going to be Johnny Spade. It was Johnny Blaze, then Johnny Spade, then Johnny Nitro. Thanks to John. Uh, oh, thanks to uh, Bischoff. That right, was a, yeah, Johnny Bischoff. Johnny Bischoff. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, John Morrison would end up actually doing pretty well in the WWE. Uh, uh, but and, not quite as well as the person that we're going to talk about when when we talk about season four, the million dollar tough enough. Yeah, so this season three uh, was the last that MTV did because you may not know this. The ratings kind of sucked. Wrestling fans didn't really get into Tough Enough as much as you would think. MTV was kind of in a rebranded mode because this is now in the mid-2000s. So out goes the Tough Enough and walks in the jackass. I mean, like, when it's a show that creates such stars as Matt Capitelli, Maven, how, how could people... Not just tune in to MTV Tough Enough when it's making stars like that. Uh, SmackDown's Shaniqua, like, who could resist tuning into that? So, <clears throat> season four is the million dollar Tough Enough. It is back, but only exclusive to SmackDown on UPN. I, it just hit, it just hit me that SmackDown's now on Fox, so it's it's on all three of the syndicator uh, channels. If you really think about it, it was on UPN, it was on CW, and now it's on Fox. So any like channel that has a limited uh, programming run prime time, <laughs> and uh, they also were on uh, Sci-Fi for years, so they they've bounced around between a lot of networks, and now it's on Fox, and it's considered the A show. <laughs> <laughs> so in this version, it, which is essentially the same, uh, they they had basically bad physical challenges, much like Tough Enough. But this time around, it was like a one like one segment of SmackDown. So instead of here is another dull tag team match that you forget the names of the tag teams, here is a bunch of people. Doing a squat competition. Uh, yeah, because because seeing that is always just a highlight of the show to people that haven't gotten enough TV time that you remember their names doing a SWAT competition. They loved it, 
when Triple H and Scott Steiner had a pose down in 2003, they're going to love it when uh, Mike Mizanin and Daniel Pewter, no, he was in the first season of Tough Enough, uh, some other guy have a squat contest. No, what happened was, are you ready? Because this is what they did. They split up the show. They tried to go like, okay, so this is for the dudes. The dudes get this show. But the women, they get the Raw Divas search. Oh, God. And that was the essentially, we don't give a shit about wrestlers anymore. It's just who looks the best in in, in a bikini. It was just like a five-week beauty contest. Jerry uh, Lawler's puppy mill. And we're not, luckily, we're not going to talk. I... I don't think we're going to talk about that, even though I think that was considered real, because essentially this is where I, we skew the line of, is it a game show or not? Because this is essentially a segment on another show. This is a variety segment now, if this is the Tough Enough Season 4. So in my right, mind, yeah. Nandar Tough Enough does not count as a game show, even though it's in the line of this game show. So um, so the most successful Tough Enough person, Mike the Miz Mizanin, doesn't actually count for the purposes of this podcast. It doesn't count as a game show winner. It became the variety version. segment. This is just like the, the, it's just like if we cover the, the 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 super toy run from Nickelodeon. It's like a commercial. It's not real. <laughs> oh, or or let's just yeah, Let me just cover every Ellen DeGeneres game while I'm at it. Sure, I'll just throw myself into that. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, no or go. Hooray. <laughs> what a great episode, folks. Celebrity beer pong with Jimmy Fallon this week on game shows, I suppose. With me was Neil. Neil, what did you think of Harvey's Hundreds on the Steve Harvey talk show? <laughs> oh, I just didn't think there was enough Steve Harvey. Like when I tune into the Steve Harvey show, I, I want all Steve Harvey all the time. Like, whenever Steve Harvey's not talking, everyone should be asking, where's Steve Harvey? And he should be uh, louder, angrier, and have access to a time machine. Alrighty, so, in an unscripted segment of Tough Enough, Kurt Angle, former uh, wrestler and 96 gold medalist, challenged a finalist to a squat thrust competition. Chris Narotsky won the competition. The prize he won was a match against Kurt Angle. Angle quickly took Narotsky down, breaking his ribs, and then making him tap out with a neck crank. After he defeated Naraki, Angle challenged other finalists. Pruder accepted the challenge. Angle and Pruder wrestled for position with Angle taking Pruder down. However, the process, Pruder locked Angle in a Kimura rock. Uh, lock, not rock. Uh, with <laughs> smell with Pruder on his back and Angle's arm locked in the Kimura. Angle attempted a pin. One or two referees in the ring, Jim Corderas, quickly counted three to end the bout. Despite the fact that Pruder's shoulders weren't fully down on the mat, bringing it up at two. Pruder later claimed he would have snapped Angle's arm, thus making Angle tap out on national television if Contreras had not ended the match. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, do we want to get into what his receipt for that was? What was Daniel Pruder's receipt? Uh, in the 2005 Royal Rumble, he was put in the ring with uh, Chris Benoit, Hardcore Holly, Eddie Guerrero, and probably another guy, and he just had the shit kicked out of him for a few minutes on... Live pay-per-view. That's... <laughs> they stiffed the shit out of him. With Benoit, Holly, and Eddie Guerrero. How dare you for Kurt Angle 
in this bit where he was supposed to prove he's a better uh, superstar and wrestler than you, the mixed martial artist. <laughs> anyway, spoiler is the martial artist did win, as well as the Miz. Uh, he he was a runner up. He didn't win though. Um, also, uh, they had someone by the name of Ryan Reeves, who some of you might know as Skip Sheffield or Ryback on NXT. Yep, the yep, yep. Guy. What to do? Uh, and then we get to the 2011 USA Network version of Tough Enough, which is uh, what we watched an episode of for this uh, for this podcast. This is the epi- This is what I would say is the, the 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 two most recent are the ones that are most game showy, and that's what I like. Season five, they call it the revival. They call it season one, and. We get rid of the whole, here's a trainer, here's people talking shit to you. No, now we have a brand new Tough Enough, and who better to host it than host of Redneck Island, host of... Uh, the Boston's Broken Skull Challenge. And, and now uh, Steve, the Steve Austin talk show uh, after Raw on most USA Network stations. Stone Cold Steve uh, Austin. Mr. What? Stone Cold Steve himself. Austin. What? The Rattlesnake. What? Austin 316. What? The man who's got a site for you where the cougars hunt you. So this version, which I'd say is way better than anything else, has an actual, like, challenges. Versus in the last four that we are talking about, it really was just like... Go through the obstacle course. Uh, do the best flippity flop. Let's build the ring out. Okay, well, you need to drive from here to here to here and basically lose, like, sleep. Because you don't get sleep in the WWE. Now you gotta work a match. Now you gotta do... And then also have, like, the worst developmental because these people aren't really being taught moves by the looks of things. They're just kind of just falling on their back. So it's almost like a drop and give me 50. It's just, instead of push-ups, it just falls on your back. As we move yeah, on to... Yeah, and uh, this year they've got Bill DeMott as sort of their representative of the WWE training apparatus. And... um do we want to get into uh, Bill DeMott and the controversy surrounding of him? Of course we can go through Bill DeMott, who becomes the hardcore Holly. Uh, also, Tr- uh, Trish Stratus and Booker T were there as also trainers, but this was mostly the Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bill DeMott uh, scream hour. Yeah, uh, Bill DeMott, for those of you who aren't super aware of wrestling, he was, you know... He was humongous. He was a Hugh Morris in WCW, later uh, General Hugh Erection of the Misfits in Action. And as the head of WWE's developmental Ohio Valley Wrestling, uh, he ruined a lot of people's lives and treated a lot of people like shit until uh, some whistleblowers, you know, got the word out about what he was doing. Uh, Dolph Ziggler's brother, um, Hot Young Briley and the Luchasaurus of AEW are two of the more well-known ones, and uh, he got he got taken out of that organization, thankfully, after years of abusing trainees. So it was it was nice to see him portrayed as the tough but fair trainer on this show. Just a just a great thing to see. 
And so, so looking back and getting Bill Namon as a trainer for this show, this is 2011. I think he got eliminated in like 2015, 2016. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And is replaced with, uh, what's her face from Chikara? Uh, <laughs> Sarah Del Rey. Yes. That's, she's now like the head, I think, of <laughs> Uh And this version essentially makes more sense. Uh, it's 14 people. Well, they start with their, like, look, we got all these people in development uh, till, and then we have to get see who goes into... The Valley View Casino Center in San Diego, California. <laughs> also known as the Pachanga Arena. <laughs> uh, and they go to see a SmackDown 600. And then they get to see say hi to Stone Cold Steve Austin at his house ranch feature. <laughs> Backyard garage with wrestling ring. Which I thought looked nice. It looked like a house, so they get to live in the house. Then they get a wrestling uh, ring. In each episode, there was a different challenge based on the criteria that's necessary uh, for the the uh, for for basically what does it mean to be a WWE superstar? And sometimes it was physical, you know, like hey, you gotta just like go through like this awful obstacle course or uh do a cheerleading drill uh or be chased by dogs be chased by dogs i think that's just there just because he wanted to have a skills challenge so it's like a skill challenge then there's always some sort of theatrical challenge as well so cut a promo uh figure out your costume what would your entrance be because when you walk out that's the first thing people see so are you going to be a badass? Are you going to be sly? What are you going to do? What's your angle here? And after like a couple of challenges, uh, someone is on is considered the best in the skills challenge and is safe typically for the week. While uh, people at risk, there are three of them, must step forward in the ring. And much like a Hell's Kitchen, they all are presented with the WWE Championship. Now... The best part, Neil, is the WWE Championship is is everyone's favorite of them. Yeah, this was this was 2011, so this was the Spinner Belt. The Spinner Belt. You know, when people talk about what's their favorite WWE Championship, some of them bring up the Winged Eagle, the the Smoking Skull, if they're a big fan of Stone Cold, or they bring the, uh, up the, the modern one, the modern title. ones. So why not the spinner belt that was dedicated to John Cena back when he was a rapper? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The belt that I personally associate most with uh, CM Punk's long uh, title reign that ended with him losing to The Rock to set up John Cena versus The Rock at WrestleMania 29. Which which is a once in a lifetime, I heard. Once in a lifetime. Uh, that that was the one at WrestleMania 28. This is this is twice in a lifetime. Uh, oh, oh, oh! They they got to get John Cena his win back. Well, Matt Hockey, <laughs> Matt Cross was in the episode we saw. We saw episode two of uh, Tough Enough today. 
Lucha uh, Underground legend, the M-Dog 20, son of Havoc, Matt Cross. M-Dog 20, as seen in Backyard Wrestling, colon, don't try this at home. Uh, WSX legend, Matt Cross. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, yeah. This entire episode is dedicated to just burying Matt Cross. There is, uh, it starts out with a segment during... During the first uh, training bit, where Trish Stratus is like, hey, you've been wrestling for like nine years now, right? What do you do? And he's like, uh, I, I do flips. And she's like, okay, you've, you've been doing this for a long time. How about you get in the ring with one of these guys and show me what you can do? And uh, he doesn't really show much. He works a you know pretty typical match. And we're Makes talking the other guy boring look pretty good. Match. Like headlock, uh, he does a. The closest he did to a flip was not even like a sunset flip. It was like a what if I do the you know arm ring flip <laughs> to try and make it look uh, like it's going. He also did the. Uh, he also did the uh, running into the corner and jumping up to avoid a guy running in after you. And. Uh, this episode is basically positioning Matt Cross as just this stereotypical indie guy, the uh, what would be called a vanilla little person. Yes, uh, and uh, he he like lives to say up to the it. other. I like to say the other term, the Tootsie Roll vanilla midgy. <laughs> That's not what I've heard before. That's Tootsie Roll. You know, those little, like, not the Tootsie Roll chocolates, but those, like, flavored, like, orange and... Huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, he is he is just made to look incredibly bland, and when he's brought in at the end of the episode to talk to Stone Cold about, you know, why are you in, the, in this week's bottom three, and Stone Cold asks... Why didn't you actually show us anything impressive? He was like, I thought the time for that would have been later. And he is just made out to be so incredibly timid that uh, I I was not necessarily sad to see him go. Yes. So they did a skill challenge. And Matt Cross, of course, did the weakest because he didn't impress the, the judges or Stone Cold. And they essentially, like, that's the first half of the show. The second half really is just this interrogation in the ring with three contestants hold, clenching their spinner belts as Stone Cold Steve Austin with a spotlight behind him and, like, no other lights just starts interrogating these people into just, like, like making them hate themselves. <laughs> So what's your yeah, uh, what's your yeah. gimmick? What's your uh, so you're you're uh, you do wrestling for nine years? You never did a you say you're gonna do flips. Why did you do a flip? <laughs> and the- I mean this, that that's the strongest part of the episode because uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin is just phenomenal on the microphone. He's a really good talker and he fits really well in the sort of Gordon Ramsay role. Stone and Cold he Steve Austin this- is going to start yelling at you, son. Stone Cold Steve Austin's going to say, why didn't you do a good performance, son? And, and he gives this, like, big spiel about, like, you know, when Vince McMahon called me up and said, you want to be the ringmaster, I, the ringmaster I, I, I knew suck. that that ringmaster was a piece of crap, but I went in there, and I 
thought of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And if I hadn't thought of Stone Cold Steve Austin, nobody would be talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin right now. And it's like a legitimately good, like, it's a good point. Like, Matt Cross was too timid and, like, did not take the shot that he should have. But also, he's trying out for WWE in 2011, where he would absolutely be punished for trying to actually take his spot. Like, Zack Ryder, around this time, was trying to get over on his own with his YouTube show, Long Island Dice Z. And what did he get in return for that? This is also parallel to NXT on you on the uh, Sci-Fi channel. Because they got rid of ECW. <laughs> so this is when we were first introduced to Daniel Bryan. <laughs> too. Right, yeah. And like, for for trying to get over on his own, Zack Ryder is put in a wheelchair and thrown off a stage by Kane. Mayor, like, the, the WWE that he is going into, the WWE that uh, he is trying to get into, would absolutely not. Uh, appreciate him trying to get over on his own like Stone Cold's trying to tell him to do. So he is stuck between a rock and a hard place there. You're trying to do, you're trying to do what's best for business. You don't even know what the business is, son. <laughs> uh, yeah, this no, also had one of my favorite moments here. I believe this was season, like, first episode, to be honest. I thought this was Arlene Andrew, I think, got eliminated. Uh, who yeah, yeah. become the, a Funkadactyl named Cameron. Yep. Where it was, what is your favorite match of all time? And she's and he <laughs> says that to and he says that to our Arian Android. Arianne goes Molina versus Alicia Fox. Uh you know, you think of the, the prestige of the WWE, you know, like, oh, you know, uh Macho Man, Ricky Steamboat. Uh, or even like if if you're gonna stick to a women's match, uh, Trish Stratus versus Lita, the uh, first women's match to main event an episode of Monday Night Raw. Yeah, like that. Though those are great. Uh, uh, you could even talk about uh, hell. Just talk about like Sunny or something, or or Jacqueline so if you were going that route. But China versus Jeff Jarrett in the uh, good housekeeping match for the Intercontinental oh, Title. Was that even a, in 2011? And it's like, okay, so it's like my answer is like, okay, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels in the 60-minute Iron Man match of WrestleMania 12 because the boyhood dream would come true and hopefully I could continue working at the WWE because that's my boyhood. Like, you can spin that perfectly. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin, when he heard Melina and Alicia Fox, went, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, um... Who were the other two in the uh, bottom three in this episode? Because I remember one of them was Ryan, who uh, is, is a pretty interesting character as presented here. He is he is just not taking being in a room with Bill DeMott very well. Yes, Ryan and Rima were the other two. Right, Rima is the one that woke up late and got in 20 minutes late. And you got can't shit be from here Bill late. You can't be here late. You need to be here on time. All the time. And uh, I'm and, sitting there uh, going, wait, Stone Cold said that. The show where on Monday Night Raw, he can just drive his truck like one hour <laughs> post the start time of the show. And then Jim Ross goes, business is picking up. That's Stone Cold <laughs> saying that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of my favorite lines in the episode is when Stone Cold says to Ryan, 
So do you just rub everybody the wrong way or is Bill DeMott an asshole? I knew what my answer to that question was. And spoiler, the answer is Bill DeMott is an asshole. But you couldn't say that because they were trying to push Bill DeMott as the dumb guy. Yeah, he is he is very much the, the tough but fair drill sergeant as presented in the show. And uh kind of infuriating to see them pushing him that way at that time, knowing what we know now. Uh the winner was Andrew Levine. He became Kevin Hackman. Who? Who? Ke- Ke- Kev- Kevin ha- Hack see he ended up in developmental and then kind of fizzled out in FCW. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that more people in the season went on to become televised talent for Lucha Underground than went on to become televised talent for WWE because you had Son of Havoc Matt Cross. You ha- I believe Ivelisse was in this season. Yes, Ivelisse. And you had um, Marty the Moth. That was my favorite, Marty the Moth. Uh, he only... actually came across pretty well in this episode, in the, the little bit he had. And then they kept, uh, what was what was the other one I'm drawing a blank on? Um, I think it was Luke, Luke Robinson. It was taught by, because uh, uh, <laughs> he was uh, essentially booed on Monday Night Raw when he, in the final two. And the only thing I remember is essentially everyone wanted him to win, thinking that was like the storyline. And no, it was Andy. Yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> so, so the fun part is when Stone Cold Steve Austin says you're eliminated from the show, you must give your WWE spinner belt back to him. <laughs> oh, and just the look on Matt Cross's face when he has to give the title back. It's like he doesn't even realize that he's lost. He's like, no, I want to keep this. This is a cool toy. Can I at least, come on. Can I pay the money? <laughs> and then in Stone Cold, like in Hell's Kitchen fashion, Stone Cold takes the belt. He then goes to like a fake office where there is like the the same stupid like hooks where you hang stuff on. And he hangs the belt while giving like a monologue. Like a like a Gordon Ramsay, gonna do it on time. He could have cut the slot. <laughs> in the episode, uh, oh my god, I'm on the wiki page right now. They have every Austin comment on this season. <laughs> Holy shit! Someone is that thorough and thinks this is important information when learning about tough enough. Matt's been in the business for nine years. Showed me absolutely zero personality. There's a million mechanics out there, but there's only a few superstars. You got chosen to come here tough enough, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so put up or shut up. Uh. <laughs> oh, my God. M- uh, Michael had a chance to save himself, but Ryan manned up. He dropped some of the nice guy persona and got me... Because he had to. He got serious. This is business. You don't have the rest of your life to win tough enough. Hey, tonight at Elimination, Ryan manned up. It's him versus Michael, and he had his ass up on a promo. (laughs) Oh, Ryan Skidmark. He showed every day, and he tried his best. And you cannot be in my bottom three for three weeks in a row. You just can't. He's a nice guy, and I wish him well. But three strikes are tough enough. Goodbye. (laughs) 
Yeah, Ryan. Ryan In episode seven, they got to try WWE (laughs) 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 All-Stars. They went to THQ. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good game. Uh. <laughs> uh, of the THU, of the THQ WWE games, I would say it, it's the one that stands out the most. My favorite was the short-lived WrestleFest reboot uh, that was for mobile, and it just never saw the light of day on console platforms. Anyway, uh, this also had a bunch of guests, and we actually mean guests. Like Cena was there. Big Show was there. Bret Hart, because this was at the time when he's back in the in the industry, and they had that. Yeah, this. yeah. This is a a year after the big uh, Cena and Bret Hart versus the Nexus thing. Uh, Ray Mysterio. Twenty ten was also the year with uh, Bret Hart versus Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. The Rock was there. Uh, the Miz, because he had to have that. Ricky Steamboat, Eve Torres, Kelly Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Bella Twins when they were just the twins, not really like famous. And who can't forget the iconic WWE superstar John Sally <laughs> of the NBA. <laughs> and don't forget, because this was the USA Network, we have to do some cross promotion. Here's James Roday from Psych. <laughs> I remember when James oh. Roday was using his psych powers, and he's like, yeah, I think I'm in a WWE ring. <laughs> the theme of this week is charisma. The trainers take the contestants to Hollywood to meet psych star James Roday. <laughs> Build the you muscles. know what, son? You may think you're a psychic. Read my mind and tell me how I'm thinking about kicking your ass. Uh, you're not thinking of kicking my ass. You're thinking of handing me a beer, and then you're going to give me a stunner. <laughs> you're damn right, son. <laughs> Have a beer. <laughs> uh, the contestants go back to the house where they go off and go training with The Rock. The Rock says he'll stay for a little bit to see what will happen. The skills challenge winner is AJ. Yet the bottom three are Christina, Andy, and AJ. Andy gets pissed at Stone Cold and tells him that he's got the wrong people at the bottom three. Stone Cold announced that there will be a double elimination. Andy is saved, but Christina and AJ are cut. Yeah, I I, want to talk about John Cena's appearance on the episode we watched. He just showed up to do a QA, and a and it was just the blandest Q&A I've ever seen. (laughs) All right. Hey, John, what's your favorite match? My favorite match is my next match. My favorite match is my next match. Um... I hope you know that uh, every match is important in the WWE. Uh, <laughs> very, very heavy. Uh, just got off a press tour and you're still in that mode energy. Look, I, I just, I, I just, I had, I did five make-a-wishes and now I have to do this. Okay. Uh, I'm glad to be here on Tough Enough promoting Nickelodeon's Fred the Movie. <laughs> That was right. The Fred. The I, play Fred's I played dad, the dad, John Cena. You know, you I gotta come be out of here a bridge day. to beat up Fred. You know, I almost originally got cut, and then I had to. I then I rapped in the bus, and uh, <laughs> they were said you should you should do that in front of Vince and see what he thinks. And if it wasn't for that, I would not be here in the WWE. I would not be uh the WWE champion. I would not. There would be a lot of things that would have happened. So sometimes you got to take risks. See what happens. 
and then uh, you have the 2015 Tough Enough. All right, so now we move on to our final version of Tough Enough. In this well, actually, of, did we cover who we did cover who won this version, and it was nobody that we'd heard of. So, Andy Levine, he up. he was there. He lost, and he basically went to FCW before it became uh, NXT. So, here's where we're at. Ready? So now we're in the transition page. Uh, we will, we go from the Tough Enough 2010 to 2011 NXT as we know it, with the We Are Young and Young, kind of disappears in a way. Yeah, it becomes NXT Redemption, and it just sort of peters out from there. Yes, so what happened is FCW, which is where Andy ended up being before he got eliminated, becomes NXT, and that's the developmental territory. And we're now in the start of NXT. And this is actually like 2015, so that's like past when NXT has become basically... uh, Hunter's sub brand of his own. This is after Sami Zayn's won the title. Yeah, this is the post Sami Zayn. Kevin Owens just showed up. We are in the uh, the the Finn Balor, or is, I think it's just there because we're now in the post. And then I think we we're seeing the debut of. I would like to say it was. It was when we were about to get through the the first and inaugural like tag team tournament, the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team uh, Classic, the Samoa Joe. So we're in season six of Tough Enough in this brand new format. Now remember we were talking about like let's go behind the scenes of the developmental territory and let's watch them take bums while Al Snow berates them. Or the the last version where it's on SmackDown and it's people berate them and then they end up in a ring and then they still get nowhere. Or what about the uh, modern Stone Cold Steve Austin get the hell out of my ring? What about we just say no to all of that? We go to the WWE Performance Center and we create basically NXT question mark. This is kind of proving ground before proving ground. Now I think about it. And the format once again changes. As this time around, uh, as this time around, we see uh, a, a host. You're gonna love this. There, the, the there's there is two hosts. There is one, which is Renee Young, is the co-host. Then you have Chris Jericho. Oh. You mean AEW superstar Chris Jericho, master of the Judas effect? The Judas of the Judas of Mama, <laughs> creator of the hit song Judas. That's right, inventor of the meme "A Little Bit of the Bubbly," Chris Jericho. <laughs> uh, That's right, Chris Jay Jericho, host Violet of Bob Downfall, revival legend. <laughs> yes. AEW champion and former host of the game show Downfall on ABC, Chris Jericho. MacGruber superstar Chris Jericho? Chris Jericho, the master of a thousand and two holds. (laughs) Chris Jericho, Uh, the host of Robot Fighting League on Sci-Fi. Oh my god, I'd forgotten about that. Oh, Chris so Chris Jericho, Jericho hosted the Tough King Enough. King of all media. 
So this was a basically Chris Jericho and Renee Young would be the hosts. Uh, and there were a panel of judges and it was Daniel Bryan, who at the time was like everyone's favorite underdog, cont- uh, superstar Paige, who, uh, if you never know, she has this new movie coming out soon called, uh, fighting with my family. You should definitely check it out. Here's an exclusive sneak peek, <laughs> which at the time, uh, which we're was, not going to talk, can I think about, we're not this talk about what Paige. happened to Paige after she left WWE. This is peak Paige, by the way. I just realized this is like at the peak of Paige's career in, in WWE. And, of course, after Daniel Bryan and Paige, who else to be the third judge, the third chair in this American Isle-style format than, than Hulk Hogan? Uh, Hulk Hogan, celebrity wrestling superstar, Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan of Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain, Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, the man who killed Gawker? Hulk Hogan, the man who begrudgingly befriended Bubba the Love Sponge, and probably that was what started the downfall of his career. Hulk Hogan, that word means you're my best friend, Hulk Hogan? Oh, Hulk Hogan, but if Kim Kardashian has one, why can't I, Hulk Hogan? Uh, Hulk, no baggy shorts in my Florida restaurant, Hogan? <laughs> Hogan... Hulk gonna refuse uh, working on the George Foreman grill as being the first person because I think this idea is stupid. Hulk. Hulk Santa with muscles. Hogan. I thought that was Bill Goldberg. Nope that was that was Hulk Hogan. <laughs> he was also in Suburban Commando. Uh, he guest starred on Baywatch with Ric Flair and Vader. Hulk Hogan. What's that smell, Dookie? <laughs> Dookie! You may, you may be thinking of the Bill Goldberg vehicle, Santa's sleigh. Oh, that's probably it. Uh, wait, yeah, no, which is forget. a horror movie as opposed to the family comedy that is Santa with muscles. Hulk Hogan, the guest appearance from Gremlins 2. Hulk Hogan. Saints Row the Third's Hulk Hogan? <laughs> Everyone's like, what the hell's going on here? Anyway, so Hulk Hogan, this was the 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 thing with this version was this was a live version. Do you mean China, Illinois superstar Hulk Hogan? Yes, that's on Hulk the Hogan. Adult Swim Network. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, anyway, the Japanese commercial on. where he sells air conditioners and goes Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> Friday, Saturday, Monday, it's again. <laughs> so uh in this version which is a weekly live version of the show basically every week they get to work on their developmental but also there is a different uh twist and it's, it's basically their stars in the ring as their coaches were billy gunn who is now at aew uh lita and booker t which are much better than bill demont now that i think about it yeah, yeah. Billy Gunn, the ass man himself. Uh, Billy so, Gunn, the ace of bar wrestling. So in this version, uh, essentially, it's weekly. They get to be going through the developmental territory uh, in a way. But then there's one challenge that takes place 
that is like a promo challenge or a entrance challenge or it's not really I noticed it's not really that much physical except for like a physical obstacle course every so often. So what I find was kind of funny uh, is that they had like all sorts of these these superstars show up. Like they had Roman Reigns and, and who can't forget Bull Dempsey showing up. Remember Bull Dempsey? Ring of Honor legend Bull Dempsey? Bull! Seth frickin' Rollins, make a creator of the best uh, Hell in a Cell match of all time. Six stars. The King Slayer Seth Rollins. Burn it down. So they would show up as guests, sometimes in studio for the pre-recorded segments, and then the judges are like, why didn't you do this? That's essentially what happened. It was basically like they're all standing around. Hey, let's watch what you did. And then the judges just like look over. Uh, and it, here's one episode I want to point out here. This is a, a good one. There's no I in team. Chris Jericho visits the final six after the last elimination to get the inside scoop on how the competitors are really feeling with the competition. Also, the main competitors compete for the first time in front of a live audience in a storytelling challenge. John Cena guest stars. Hmm. Episode six, by the way, is the big turning point of this uh, season of Tough Enough. Because like I said, the F- Hulk Hogan was a judge. Um, sometime during this uh, recording, because this was a live show, a video came out uh, <laughs> featuring uh, a guy saying more than just brother, shall we say. Brother Carrie Jack, Malayle, dude. Legally distinct from Hulk Hogan. Uh, apparently not a fan of the junkyard dog. Not a fan of. Uh, not a fan of. Uh, let's just let's just say you know words of Kurt Angle. Not a fan of the black people. Uh, he was rooting against Kofi Kingston on this week's SmackDown. He was there, and he was excited when Brock Lesnar won. <laughs> Probably not super hot on Cain Velasquez. <laughs> and anyway, so after episode five, he kind of had to go away for a bit. They didn't explain why, and they had to get replaced with another judge. It was the Miz. Of course, yeah. Because tough enough, and they have to keep bringing up the fact that it's the Miz. The Miz was on tough enough. The Miz knows what tough enough. He's the Miz, the tough enough guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you get one success, and you keep bringing it back. That's the story of WWE. That's how they, they can't even do overlaying arcs these days, but they'll still bring up that the Miz did tough enough. And I thought this was actually kind of neat, because originally... They kind of try to do the whole Daniel will say all the nice things. Uh, Hogan would say like the 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 you did a good thing, bro, dog, dude, whatever. And then Paige would be the negative person. But what happened was when it flipped to episode six, Miz becomes the antagonist. Daniel Bryan becomes the positive and Paige becomes the middle of the road judge. Which added something much better to it. Uh, I that, think they really wanted Paige. Like a, a, 
that that does seem like a much better uh, roundtable than the one we saw in season five with Hulk Hogan, Bill DeMott, and sometimes Trish Stratus talking about, you know, who did what and how badly. I don't like the bumps he did, you know, that bump's not really that good. So in this version, uh, every judge gets to pick their favorite and then their least favorite. The ones that were their favorites are safe, and uh, they performed the best on the skills challenge. Well, the worst players were uh, basically sent into the elimination round. In episodes 6 through 10, because the the pool of 14 is now very small, uh, essentially uh, the judges get to vote who is safe and who is out. That That's it. Just like a here's a safety pass. Anyway... The exciting thing is the winner of the show was Joshua Bre- Josh Brendel, also known as Bronson Matthews. And what's he been doing recently? He was the gate gator wrestler guy. He was he was the Yeti. He was gonna be the Yeti. Oh. He lost in a singles Yeti. match to Cesaro. Uh and then he made his first appearance in 2015 for NXT and then got released in 2017. Hey, you got your money, kid. Go continuing, away. Continuing the grand tradition of tough enough winners. Uh, oh, wait. Also, don't forget he, uh, Sarah Lee was also there. Uh, Sarah Lee adopted her ring name Hope and lost a singles match to Alicia Fox. And then uh, has six Diva tag team match. Which also involved Mandy Rose. Mandy Rose, by the way, <laughs> survived. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Mandy Rose and Velveteen Dream are the two big success stories of this season, I take it? Yes. Uh, th- that's the two that survived and wound up doing NXT and WWE work. Which goes to show you, this show is teaching you, you know what? It's okay to be a loser because ultimately whoever wins this show only gets the money and then they have to leave. <laughs> uh, sometimes you got to fail to succeed. Oh, wait, no, it's Sonia DeVille. Sonia DeVille also is. Oh, yeah, she was on this show as well. So yeah, I guess she's the, Daria. Uh... She's her real name is Daria. So they went with Sonia DeVille. I, I, guess, I guess there's a history to the uh, Sonia DeVille Mandy Rose team they've got going on. And then whenever they need, and then whenever they do a it's Pride Month, Sonia shows up to be the the face of LGBT rights, the ace of the LGBT community. It's it, if it's not that they just get Finn Balor, even though I don't think he's gay or bisexual. Finn Balor, Finn Balor, the hero of queer baiting. That just. I want him to. He's my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's married. I've heard so now that from I a can... lot of people. Yep. Now, 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 who am I supposed to have a crush on? <laughs> and if you, anyone says Ricochet, you're blocked. I'm blocking you. <laughs> I saw the Nightwing suit. Don't, I don't get me wrong. That's nice. <laughs> uh. Anyway. This was also the first show to have its own, because this was at the time when WWE had added more content, where they had Tough Talk with The Miz and Byron Saxton. Right, yeah, this was uh, when, when like, the Talking Bad, Talking Dead, Chris Hardwick post-show thing was at its zenith. 
and then in the first it was the miss for the first five episodes but then he had to become the judge because somebody said a bad thing on a bubble love sponge tape and byron ended up being the new tough tuck host and it was mm. the fun the fun part is that a lot of the people would go on to do tna uh chelsea and gabby signed with total nonstop action and would later go on to sign a contract with wwe laurel van ness and gabby is raquel Cool. So, so this was a show that actually had the most uh, people. Now, the presentation was that of a, you know, here's the actual like screen. It actually kind of looked. A, I actually liked the set for the the last version of Tough Enough when it was like here's monitors, here's a ring, here's this. It was not even like a ring. It was like a ring and then like a judge table, <laughs> like they molded it into two. <laughs> So I haven't seen this final season, but from what I understand, uh, does it sort of lean into, say, you know, a a show that was becoming very successful around that time, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race? Does it, like, take any influence from that? It kind of was, but there's no lip syncing for your life. Uh, Well, obviously, because, you know, lip syncing is such a big part of wrestling, that is a very, uh, a, a sorely missed aspect. Yes. Uh, also, they had a different logo. It no longer had that weird cinder block crush logo. <laughs> it it kind of looked like a uh, like like a Dodge commercial for a truck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, this one was also, I believe, a Triple H's attempt at Tough Enough too. So he had NXT to deal with and uh, t- Tough Enough. So, ultimately, it was fun and interesting. Here, all you need to look at is that weird desk. That's it. That's what Tough Enough looked like most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. WWE design since, like, 2014 has just been going to a place that I just do not like. It's gone to a place where you feel like you buy a truck. You like a truck. Everyone loves truck. WWE, it's like a truck. <laughs> what if we took the Dodge Ram logo, we flipped the M to a W? Uh, what if we drove a Dodge Caravan up the big ramp on the WWE stage? Masculinity is great. <laughs> Be a man. Watch the WWE. We have no time for uh, the women's wrestlers now, so Becky Lynch, you only got a four-minute match. <laughs> Uh, so here was, according to, uh, I have pulled up the OSW review of Tough Enough, by the way. Oh. Uh, one contestant eliminated each week. Each week, the Tough Enough judges nominate their bottom three. Viewers will vote to keep their favorite of the bottom three in a global vote. Each judge gets one contestant saved per season. After 10 weeks, the viewers will decide which final male and female will be tough enough and therefore win a quarter-million-dollar WWE contract. That was the rules. All right. So uh, I like these two versions better. They're both similar. One is like a Hell's Kitchen judgment thing. One was more like an American Idol uh, judge table mixed with Drag Race, mixed with here's videos of what you did. Uh, but 
All right. So, uh, now that we got through that, uh, do you have a favorite season of Tough Enough? Um, from what I've seen, I would say that the, the sixth one sounds like the, the closest they've gotten to something that could probably like reliably make stars in the way that they want it to. Even if like the winner doesn't pan out, they, they did create like Velveteen Dream. And it does seem like the thing where it shows off like a wide range of skills that can actually be applied in a professional wrestling context. And the actual fan interaction part does seem like, it, it seems like the best choice if you're trying to get fans to be invested in these characters when you bring them up onto WWE TV. And so if I were going to like go further on with Tough Enough, that, that would be the one I would take the most influence from. All right. That makes sense. Uh, so, I mean, I kind of try to write my own version of the show because I think this this basically keeps saying, like, if this is a game show, what's the game? What's the presentation? It's trying to be like the WWE product with a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes. Um, that's kind of weird. Uh, that I kind of, like, last night when I was, like, finishing up watching a Tough Enough I wrote my version of a better tough enough because usually we talk about should the show be rebooted. Do you think the show should even be rebooted or should we just like never do this again, by the way? I mean, I could see doing like a, a, a new season of tough enough in the vein of the 2015 tough enough, obviously without Hulk Hogan, even though WWE has unilaterally uncanceled him. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, he has a great match coming up with Ric Flair, a five-on-five. Five. <laughs> Team Hogan versus Team Flair. Who can't? Who gets excited for WWE these days? Uh, but yeah, I, I I think that this is a I I think that this is a, a format with potential that could be brought back and done well. I mean, this and is I, something that yeah, I think it has like been done at least somewhat the, well for this network. Yeah, what would your version of Tough Enough be? Then I'll all right bring in the ideas that I've had. So here is mine. Now, first of all, uh, here, in this show, there is no eliminations. No one gets eliminated, but however, they can quit the show at any time. Because if you're not tough enough, you leave. That's the idea. That's the you're going to have that macho bit i guess each episode is about one focus on a character entrance promo signature and finisher and really is a behind the scenes of the wwe not in a vince mcmahon look how tough world that is like every version of the show but really in the these are actors being characters while doing physical challenges kind of show so you got to break down the actors and you got to try and create the characters so that way when we're voting and picking these people, we're not picking like Jordan. We're picking the Mystic or something. Right. Uh, there are eight people in the show, and it's ten weeks. The idea is that if they complete all ten weeks, uh, they get to be in developmental no matter what. So that's your end goal. Like that's your prize is you get to be in developmental, and that means you could go to NXT or whatever is Triple H's baby boy. <laughs> But the best, yeah, I, I, but the best player uh, of the of the ten week course 
uh, gets one hundred thousand dollars. Because uh, I assume it would be less budget. Because this is a course, an internet show. Everyone else on this show, by the way, got a quarter million bucks. Uh, the million dollar tough enough was a quarter million dollars paid out quarter million dollars a year for four years. Uh, okay. So so we're we're lowering the budget to a hundred thousand because I don't think Vince would pay a quarter million for this shit. In uh, the I, player- have you thought about casting? By the way. Like what? What sort of people would you cast as like the contestants? Alrighty, uh, of course, people who have already have prior experience in wrestling, like indies. Like we're not gonna go with the. Uh, I w- I like to say we're not going for the A list. We're not going for like here is. We're not gonna try and spring for someone who's on Ring of Honor or or someone who's who's already an existing brand. We're going with like straight. I up- mean, you could probably get Kenny King. Just tell him he's going to be on a wrestling game show. Need be right in. Kenny King would definitely be like a kind of contestant for this show. You have a like when NXT picked up like people, it was kind of like straight out of in indie promotions. Like this was except for Brian because they just got his contract because out of Ring of Honor. But think like uh, people from Evolve. And the idea is supposed to be theoretically you pick up like. You could pick up divas, or sorry, the women, the women wrestlers. You could pick up the the men, uh, anybody to be honest. And it, these are supposed to be people who have like pre existing, uh, not really cult uh, audience. Like this would have been a show for like a, a Juice Robinson, for instance, or uh, Orange Cassidy. Uh, if I, this I was like see two Juice years Robinson ago, doing really well on something with this format. Yes. So, uh, in this version, or I would like to say, uh, if they got Jungle Boy, like, like I, I think in AED people, probably because AEW people are actually more diverse and eclectic, and I kind of like that more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had a similar idea with like they recently had like an eight man NXT's like Rising Stars Challenge just to bring in a bunch of indie people that they signed. That's how they brought in uh, DJZ. That's how they brought in uh, ACH. That's how they brought in Sam Shaw, I think. And, like, instead of just throwing out eight people in a tournament, that would be, like, a better use for this sort of format. You bring in, you know, eight people with Indies experience. They're bringing in, you know, somewhat already formed personalities. But it's just, like, in terms of, like, getting them to that next level is what this is about. It's about getting them, you know, tough enough for WWE to take that big step. And my idea would be that it would be heavily, like, co-promoted with NXT. So you've got, like, you know, people on the NXT roster sort of dropping in, you know, sharing their experience of how they, you know, made that step and sort of, like, giving their sort of behind the scenes of, like, how it is at the Performance Center and, like, tying that in. I think that would work, too, because I was kind of thinking we have to do something like a Proving Ground kind of show. Like, it needs to be more like Proving Ground than really a uh, game show kind of thing. Uh, And then, like, you could bring in, like, NXT alumni to, like, show, like, hey, you may be, you know, low right now, but you can climb the ropes and you can get all the way up to the main stage and uh, job to (laughs) Brock Lesnar in 10 seconds because they're bringing in Cain Velasquez for the Blood Money show. WWE superstar Baron Corbin? Oh, King of the Ring Baron Corbin. 
so in this version, Royal I, Rumble winner Shinsuke Nakamura is on this episode of Tough Enough. <laughs> Sorry, no speak English. He just punched Bill the Mod in the balls. <laughs> um. Uh. So, so in this version, which is exactly where you're going now with like a developmental NXT area that's like proving ground. Um, think British Bake Off. Like each week is a different week, uh, like promos week or character week or costume week. We're actually like creating the character step by step in between the, the training sequences, and the and then the judges get to pick their favorites. And this is where you get the the guest superstar who's an NXT person. You get the uh, the veteran, and then you get the, uh, the 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 main guy who would always be like, maybe this is the Miz. Maybe we'll get the Miz. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> and one and is good. Something else. Something else that I think would be nice is to bring in like the legends, uh, the like the pros idea from NXT, but not necessarily have it be like main roster people. Like bring in people on legends deals. Like oh, Sean Waltman is picking out you know the guy he thinks has got. You know, he he's got the the hunger oh, to be the, the next cowboy one, two, gimmick, and they're doing the Bronco Buster. <laughs> but but like have legends doing the uh, the the sort of pro role where it's like you know they're they're giving their advice from like a you know a, a life in the business, and they're not quite integral to the format as the pros were on NXT where. Uh, a lot of the stuff was about just having the pros feud. Yeah. Like you have two pros in a match. Like they're not that big into it, but they are sort of like mentors that can give advice. It's um, <laughs> it's uh, definitely. I think that's the way it goes. So, so I put three judges, and they get to pick their favorite and their least favorite. And it's and you're gonna like it. The best is called a push, and the worst is called a berry. <laughs> You guys love that, you sparks? You smart marks, you pieces of shit. Ruining wrestling for everybody, you piece of shit. Um so the I don't I don't think they'd be that hostile because I mean this would be co promoted with NXT, so they they know where their bread is buttered. Yeah, so their favorites so, they, they, so their favorites it, it get would the be push. More obsequious than uh than contemptuous. So their favorites get the get the push, which is like a like a gold star. Like you did the best promo of the week. We're proud of you. Uh, and then the like, like Bake Off, like British Bake Off. And then the worst gets the berry, and it's like a, and it's basically a plus one minus one system. Where at the end of the ten weeks, whoever got the most points, the most pushes, counter to their berries, wins. And, and uh, I would assume that there'd be like some sort of fan interaction, like. Every week, the fans can vote on like who who gets the 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 fans who gets yes. the fan push. Yes, you have to have that. They can, they can give their fave a bonus point. Exactly, and then if there's a tie, it actually was going to be the uh, I put judges, but I think the fans should probably decide. Like if the point system, if there's a tie, because you get a vote who gets because it's like a meaningless hundred grand. It's it's not like the quarter million. I, I had a, like a, a pretty silly idea for a tiebreaker. You go out there and you have the two finalists do a Broadway on WWE TV, and whoever gets the fans hotter for it, they're the one that wins. 
I think what it should be that they're going to win. I think what it should be is they should have a wrestling match, and then uh, right in the middle of this match, the referee stops it (laughs) and labels it a no contest, (laughs) and nobody wins. I I was because that's true to the WWE style this day. Right, yeah, you, you stop it in the middle for a commercial break. Oh, no, no, like, we just end the match. Like, nope, the show's over, no contest, nobody wins. <laughs> you wasted your ten weeks. I... You were watching this for ten <laughs> weeks. Nobody won the damn show. <laughs> Welcome that, to the WWE. That would, that, that would be true to what WWE is, but I don't think it would make a better show. <laughs> and most Most game shows... They they try to aim for satisfying conclusions. <laughs> that's that's how it goes. <laughs> um, I guess before we sign off here on Brother Jack, dude, all new, tough enough. Uh, Neil, did you know this is a game show podcast? I did, and that means we have a game show inside the game show podcast. We have five questions, and you have 60 seconds to answer every one of them. Not each. You have oh, like... I get it. Yeah, I, I get it. Like Booker T, the five-time world champion. Way to tie it in. He's not a six-time. Six-time. Uh, all right. So you're, you're up for this. For everyone you get right is a plug. You can get five free plugs for this. All right. Let's put six seconds on the clock. 60, not 6. Who is the best host of Tough Enough? Steve Austin. Whatever happened that Gator wrestler? He got released in uh, 2017 or so. What's your favorite tag team? My favorite tag team would be the Kings of Wrestling, uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Chris Hero. What would your wrestling gimmick be? Uh, My wrestling gimmick, I would be... I, I would be the annoying guy at ringside who keeps trying to do uh, keeps trying to do running jokes, like uh, like one of those fans that goes to every episode of Raw and has their own gimmick. Like Frank the Clown. All right, NXT or AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite. That's it. Five or five. You got all five right. All right. Yeah, you won five for five, including the gimmick one. I know what mine nice. would have been. Mine would be a space detective. Nice, because you got to have like, because you got to have like, you know, things like a letter jacket, almost like it's like a not like cowboy bebop style, but like you got to have like, a, you got to have it so it's like the background is all dark and there's stars in the background, the silhouette. So and like a, like stardust. Yeah, like a stardust, but then like as the lights flash, it's like it becomes this like. Because I think if, if it's going to be me, it's it's like I can't be that flashy. You can't go Max Moon either. You can't have like the jetpack. Right. So you got to have like a, I think it has to be more like a mythological, like, you know, like, oh, this person's going to come after me. So I should probably just go over to the side and watch them knock themselves into a turnbuckle. <laughs> and just have a defensive style. Like that's the entire gimmick is just defense. <laughs> And then on the off chance I have any offenses like a dropkick or something or a running bulldog, just something. 
Yeah, yeah. This is something cheap. All right, so five plugs. Five plugs. My first plug, uh, smalltalk.blogspot.com. That's where you can find every episode of Small Talk, the only podcast where two siblings talk about the life and career of British character actor Timothy Small, and every episode of Mature Listeners. The podcast is a uh, eulogy for the dearly departed Vertigo Comics line from DC Comics. Oh. Uh, two, though, two would be my Twitter account, F-U-C-K-I-N-A-L-P-A-M-A-R-E, at fucking Alpamare. My current display name is Kawarius slash Shinji AMV set to the Fozzie song Judas. Uh, Judas of the Judas of Mama. <laughs> you know what? My third plug. It's going to be a video I did of uh, the Joker trailer set to the song Judas. It is surprisingly fitting. <laughs> you might have to set it off. <laughs> my, my fourth plug is... Uh, neiljacobi.bandcamp.com that's where you can find my music and uh, my fifth plug I'm going to plug my brother's Twitter account at Eric is a joke he's pretty funny he doesn't tweet super often but when he does it's pretty funny <laughs> eventually we'll have to get Eric on maybe Eric will talk baggage or something <laughs> the other the other Kenny King show <laughs> Uh, if you want to have a good time, just search Baggage Game Show, and you'll be greeted with a wall of screenshots from the show of people standing next to briefcases saying things like, I enjoy full-blown clown sex. Just scroll through that, have a good afternoon. <laughs> Eric Jac <laughs> Neil Jacoby. Thank you so much Jordan for stopping by, proving that you are tough enough. Uh, this is a reminder to go watch AEW Dynamite Wednesday nights at 8 on TNT. And watch AEW Dark on YouTube on Tuesdays. The Dark matches. Oh, that's right. I got to go watch that SEMA match real soon. All righty. Yeah, yeah. It's basically AEW Thunder, and I think that's a pretty neat idea. I, I'm on board with this. Folks, just watch AEW. Just watch AEW. Don't watch this show. Watch AEW. Uh, the the hot new heel stable. Uh, Chris Jericho, Santana Ortiz, Sammy Guevara, and the savage Jake Strong, Jake Hager of Bellator MMA. I mean, he's currently undefeated. <laughs> oh, jeez. Let's just say goodbye first. Bye. <laughs> Tailwinds. Thank you so much, Neil, for stopping by. I had a lot of fun with them. They were so much fun. Uh, also, I'm pretty sure they will kill me if I did not plug NWA Power, P-O-W-E-R-R-R, in AEW Dark, which are both available on YouTube, which you probably have. Um, also, AEW Dynamite is on TNT Wednesday nights at, I believe, 8. So please, give it a watch. Wrestling is back, everybody. Let's celebrate. Let's all go to the New Japan uh, Pro Wrestling of America. I think that's what they call it now. Anyway, it's time for the 110-part series exploring every pricing game on The Price is Right. This is the Pricing Game Spotlight. Mass 
Master Key. Oh, wow. We're doing one of my favorite games. Master Key, premiere date, Bob Barker, March 25th, 1983, 4855D, finale date, Bob Barker, May 1st, 2007, 3972K, premiere date with Drew Carey, February 11th, 2008, 4201K, pricing and locations, turntable and center stage. Master Key gets its name from the fact that a key of a set of five is the Master Key, which will unlock a set of locks to three prizes. Gameplay. The contestant is shown two small prices, one at a time, each with a three-digit number displayed. The contestant must decide rather the two digits are the last two digits, 46 or 68, if 468 is displayed, are the correct price. A correct choice wins the price and the choice of one of five keys. If the contestant fails to win any keys, which is getting neither of the two correct, the game automatically ends. First time this happened was on June 9th, 1992, 8472D. Most recently, it happened on March 28th, 2019. 8694K. Each of the five keys has a different effect on the three locks, which represent a car and two other prizes in game. There is one key for each of the three locks, one that's a dud and aka a blank key, and one that o- which opens absolutely none of these locks, and the other is the master key, which opens all three. The contestant inserts their chosen key into each of the locks one at a time, to which if it locks it opens, if any, the contestants win the prizes represented by any locks that are open. The only way to win all three prizes is to get the master key. If the contestant has the master key, it'll be obvious after it opens more than one lock. If a key opens the first lock, the contestant usually will be told to skip right to the third lock for the car to add to the excitement if the lock opens. The game can end with somewhat anticlimactic note if the first key opens only the car. If this happens, the host finishes the game by checking to see what the second key might open, but this usually happens in the background as the contestant celebrates winning the car. All right, so that was the most longest pointless way of saying it. There's two prizes. You determine the price. Is the first two right or the last two right? You get it right, you get a key. You don't get it right, you don't get a key. There are five keys. One opens none of them. One opens prize one, which is small. One opens the next prize, which is kind of bigger. One opens the key to a car, and one's a master key that opens all of them, which means on a correct answer, you have a two out of five chance of winning a car. Got it? All right. <clears throat> Game debuted March 25th, 1983, and got its first win with only one key, which was the Master Key. The red backing behind the Master Key sign, the top resembling a city skyline, was removed on December 29, 2009, to keep it from running into the Door 5 structure. Master Key signs also absent on December 21st, 1984, due to abundance of Christmas decorations. In mid-80s playing, a key got stuck in the lock. Barker attempted to resolve this with a karate kit, but he wound up breaking the key in half. Lock mechanism for one prize uh, malfunction on February 15, 2002. This time, Bob slammed the key against the lock, causing its P emblem to fall off. P. <laughs> uh, the presentation of the prizes also changed. Prior to May 7, 2013, all three prizes were revealed behind door two, with two smaller prizes on each side of the car. A platform was later added for the car on October 15, 2013. Air of the current prize revealed debut. First two prizes in front of door two, and the car revealed behind door two afterwards. For a brief period on Drew's era, Drew would ask contestant to choose a key by number. Later, he went back to the old way of letting the contestant just pick the key. On November 29th, 2015, a rare move master key was played for a cash prize of $2,500 as the second prize. On May 12th, 2016, master key was featured on Let's Make a Deal as a mashup episode with both shows. On May 19th, 2018, Big Money Week, Master Key was paid for $50,000. First lock was for $5,000. Second, $15,000. Third, $30,000. Only the $5,000 was lawn. Behind the scenes, the unlocking mechanism of the prize was controlled by the position of magnets in the keys. The three single price keys have one magnet in all different spots. The master key has magnets in all three spots, and the dud key has no magnets. Now you know. 
As in Rat Race, any number and switcheroo, the contestant only needs to win the car, not necessarily all three prizes, for the game to be officially counted as one. A win of only one or two of the smaller prizes is considered a partial win as far as affecting the perfect or win uh, list shows. If the contestant has won two keys, the process is repeated with the second key unless the first was the master key. We already went over that. Most number of times I was playing a season with 17. Among all the games, it was not necessary to know the price of any of the main prizes. Master Key and Rat Race are the only two games that do not reveal the actual retail price of their prize package. Which is very funny because Master Key is my favorite game and so is Rat Race. So maybe that's the reason why I like both of them. Uh, didn't executive producer Frank Wayne was the creator of Master Key, uh, which I like. This is, this is a game I enjoy so much because... If you play the game perfectly, you're guaranteed a prize. But you still need luck to win all three prizes, and there's that tier system of a small, medium, and a large prize, which I also enjoy. Uh, so this game is very fun because of the luck aspect. It's also the mechanics of the giant lock and the giant key, which I also enjoy. Master Key is one of my favorites for this very reason, because it's just so much interest in this. It's so much fun. It's a luck-based game show. It's better than shell game, but it's played for a car. But I can see why they don't play it that often because it seems like the win ratio is pretty high. Anyway, uh, it's one of my favorites for that very reason. I just like the fact you can win a car and then like a trip and then like some, some vacuum cleaners. Next time on the Pricing Game Spotlight... It's the phone home game. Welcome to the Misery Index, where you can make a fortune from other people's misfortune. So that's murder then? Oh! Where's that right on the index? You said above. They made me do it! You are correct. The Misery Index made its debut yesterday, Tuesday, on TBS. Hosted by Jamelia Jamil, it is presented with not only her, but the tenderloins from the Impractical Jokers. It is based on a card game called Shit Happens. In it, two teams of three, one that's a civilian and two that are the hilarious pranksters from Impractical Jokers, work together to figure out uh, where different miserable situations rank on the misery index. The misery index is based on three criteria, physical pain, emotional trauma, and the psychological impact that follows. It is played with three rounds with whoever makes the most money after three rounds going to the bonus round where they can win up to $30,000. In round one, they play misery lane. There are two really embarrassing situations shown with a nice big enough gap. Then one team gets presented their scenario and they must decide rather that scenario belongs either below the index, above the worst item, or in between the two items for $500. So A, B, or C, above, below, or in between. This is repeated one per team so they can each have a chance at $500. In round two, it's an AB game called More or Less Miserable. They get shown two news articles or two video clips and they got to decide between these two items, which one is worse for $1,000. In case you're playing along at home, one is an ABC 
and it's for less money. And then the other, which is a simple flip of a coin, is for more money, $1,000. Round three is called Master of Misery, and it's play with both teams at the same time. There is shown just one item, and that one item is a clip from the Impractical Jokers, which you can watch on True TV. In that scenario, they must decide where does this embarrassing punishment belong on the Misery Index. Whoever is closest to that number gets $2,000. Which, by the way, if you have paid attention, that means it's a golden snitch, which means the first two rounds really don't mean anything. Because if you win your question, that's 500 bucks. You get your second one right, that's 1500 But you can totally tank the first two rounds and get this one right and get $2,000 and theoretically win the game. So really, the first two rounds don't really matter. It's just played for jokes. And the third round is just a product placement for the Impractical Joker Show. Anyway, whoever has the most money after round three goes on to the bonus round. Good news is the runner-up gets to keep their money anyway. So, yay? In the final round, they get to play Margin of Misery. And they get to pick one of the lovable tenderloins to be their uh, special enforcer, helpful guide. I don't know. And they get three final scenarios. And it's played similar to Power of Ten. The first one is for $5,000 and involves a 30-point range. The second scenario is for $10,000 and is a 20-point range. The third and final one is for $15,000 and uses just a 10-point range. If you get the question wrong, you lose the money, but you're not out of the game. After all three questions, whatever money you have left is yours to keep, which means if you play a game perfectly, $33,500. That's it. What I like about this show is the Impractical Jokers. They are very funny, very clever. And it sounds to me like this is less of a promotional for Impractical Jokers. They just kind of added that in round three just to add something. Whereas the final round seems like they're throwing a lot of money into the really weird scenarios, which I thought were either gross out to very fucked up. To a point where is it kind of funny to be laughing or kind of morbid to be seeing them on screen? Uh, I don't really like that round three is a golden snitch round, but that's kind of the only thing that I can really knock. And it's a very big knock because it kind of serves as also the tiebreaker also. Uh, Jamelia is a good host. The scenarios are weird. I think the criteria is fun, and this seems to be like if you got the card game at Target, you can probably play this similarly at home. Uh, so please, go to Target. You can already play the Misery Index home game. Go figure. Uh, I, I, I've been, I was trying to play along with this show, and there's a little bit of play along with it that I kind of like it at the same time. It's also one of those weird, why does this exist, this is going to traumatize me kind of shows. On the Misery Index, I give watching this probably an 8, maybe a 12. But uh, it's it's an interesting show because they're not really... Because I thought they would probably be like, let's embarrass the Impractical Jokers, let's embarrass the... And it did none of that. And it's actually kind of a fun show. It kind of makes you look at the Impractical Jokers in a different light than just, here are the people in hidden camera saying weird stuff to people. And it's very enjoyable. Jamelia... 
as people may not know, she actually was a game show host. She's also a famous Radio 1 DJ for a while. So this is right up her alley, and this worked well for her. That I don't see any problems with that, that she did great. The Impractical Jokers, as the contestants, did great. The only two negatives I have is that Impractical Jokers uh, plug in the third and final round for $2,000, and the fact that that round also acts as a golden snitch that my final rating is a solid B. Do I recommend you watch this? Maybe if you're like 18 or older. It's not that adult, but there's a lot of stuff in there that if you were a teenager, you would probably be confused by what that means, like a circumcision. Uh, But I had a lot of fun watching it. I also saw a lot of fucked up videos, but it kind of is in that wheelhouse of things that I find fucked up and funny that kind of worked out for me as well. Uh, So... All in all, I had a lot of fun watching it, and I kind of do recommend you watch Misery Index if you were a fucked up human like me. <laughs> um, I did enjoy the Practical Jokers. Uh, I will pick, if, if I had a team, I would pick Q. Q would be my guy. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, so, so it's a solid B. It's a solid B show. Uh, <laughs> a lot of money for it. A lot of fun. I, uh, that's That's it for us this week here on on game shows i suppose join us next week when we talk about another great game show i suppose be sure to send the rating over on apple podcasts uh leave a comment what game shows you want to talk about follow me on twitter at jordha j-r-d-h-a uh that's about it uh until then i'm going to be stuck with the judas in the judas in my mind also good night and big smooch Personified, and I will drag you down and sell you out. Run away. I am cold like December snow. I have carved out this soul made of stone, and I will drag you down and sell you out. Stunt Granny.